Take the road up through the mystic mountains, past the fantastic fishing fields and fountains, three days through the titan woods whose trees glare down through leafy hoods. Crawl in the darkness of the biting caves, it's more dangerous the other ways. Then finally find yourself later or sooner in the hidden valley town, Ben Luna. Lillian was standing stock still. She had just come face to face with a mysterious person who had somehow managed to climb the walls of one of Ben Luna's tallest houses and was now staring at her through the window. Time slowed to heartbeats. Lillian gazed at those big green eyes and was suddenly brought back to her senses. She breathed in as the stranger brought their right hand back, balling it up into a fist. Lillian managed to get the first few sounds out of her mouth before the stranger's fist connected with the glass, cracking it under brute force. The syllables of crumb and well left Lillian's lips as she stumbled back from the shattering glass. As she lost her balance and fell to the floor, time jerked back into gear, seemingly doubling its speed so as to make up for the seconds of stillness. Shards of glass sprayed across the floor as Cromwell Atticop spun up and out of his chair and round to face the intruder. The stranger poured themselves into the room in a swift, slithering movement, ignoring the broken glass around the window's edge. Their hood obstructed their face, so Lillian couldn't get a good look at them, but for as long as she lived, she would never forget the look of purpose and hatred in their eyes. They were almost standing over her now, but had shifted their attention to the greater threat. Lillian scrambled backwards toward the bed, panicking and hoping to get under it. The gap, however, was too small, and so she pressed herself into the corner between the bed and the wall. From here, she had a view of the whole scene. She desperately wanted to close her eyes and disappear, but an older, more instinctual part of her brain was forcing her to keep them open just in case any danger would come her way. She watched as Mr. Atticott produced a vial of lunar essence from somewhere in his sleeve or waistcoat. Lillian recognised the flash of distinctive brightness against Atticott's night-black clothes. The stranger stood up carefully and pulled a large knife from a scabbard at the back of their belt. Lillian thought to shout, to warn Mr. Atticott that this person had a weapon hidden from his sight. But before she could find the words, Atticott moved with unnatural speed. He unstoppered the vial and dragged it across the air in front of him. The bright fluid slipped out from the cap, but instead of spraying everywhere or falling to the floor, it seemed to hang in shimmering lumps across the air in front of him. The stranger must have been just as surprised as Lillian, because instead of leaping in for the attack, they decided in a split second to shift their weight and focus on defence. Looking back on these events later, Lillian would realise that this initial decision was their undoing. The production of the essence did not plunge the room into darkness, but Lillian did notice a visible drop in the light around her. In a flash, Cromwell Atticop reached out and plucked a large, shifting lump of essence from out of the air. He moved quickly, forming his hand into a fist around the liquid. Then in a flash he pulled it back and was suddenly holding a brilliant, glowing sword. It was as if he'd had an invisible scabbard in front of him and the sword had been pulled out of the air. 
the large blob of essence was now gone. The stranger wasted no more time and leapt across the room towards Mr. Atacop. They brought their own blade round and it connected with Atacop's sword with a deafening clash. Unperturbed by Atacop's swift defence, the stranger slashed at him again and again, but their knife only ever connected with the pointed, razor-sharp sword that Atacop was manoeuvring deftly all around him. At first it seemed like the intruder had the upper hand, pushing Mr. Atacop back towards his desk, past the still floating lumps of liquid. But as soon as Cromwell felt the wood of the desk touch his leg, he reached out with his free left hand and grabbed the first thing it found, which happened to be an inkwell, half full and with a quill still sticking out of it. He brought it up towards his attacker's face and stopped inches away, letting the black liquid continue out past the rim and into the stranger's eyes. Surprised, they stepped backwards into some of the essence and began frantically wiping their face with their sleeve. The essence seemed to lose its light as soon as it touched the fabric of the stranger's cloak as it soaked into the threads. Atacop did not hesitate to take advantage of the stranger's blindness. He pushed himself off the desk and used the momentum to slam his weight into the attacker, pushing them across the room. Atacop then turned towards the essence. Almost half of it had gone by now, but without a moment's hesitation, he opened his mouth wide and swallowed one of the shimmering lumps. Lillian gasped. She threw her hand up to her mouth to try and catch the sound coming from it. She could feel her heart pounding in her ears and almost rubbed her eyes in disbelief as she watched Mr. Atacop's form slowly become opaque. He turned to look directly at Lillian and brought a finger up to his lips, signalling her to keep still and quiet. Lillian watched as his bearded face went almost completely see-through and finally disappeared. Lillian was stunned. The hooded figure in the corner of the room had finally managed to regain their vision, but at the cost of losing sight of their target. Lillian watched them whip round and round, desperately seeking out Mr. Atacop or any sign of where he might have gone. Their ink-stained eyes finally fell upon Lillian. She wanted to scream, to run, or to disappear completely, just as Mr. Atacop had done. Feelings of betrayal and abandonment flooded her stomach as the stranger approached her with their hand stretched out. They must have thought they could use her as some sort of bait or hostage, and they were just kneeling low to grab her hair when Lillian's fear overcame her, and she shut her eyes and screamed into her chest. She expected pain. She expected movement. But as she waited in the darkness, several seconds went past without anything happening. Slowly, she opened the corner of her eye and looked up. She saw the stranger, frozen, with an outstretched hand just inches from her head. They were staring intently at her, but all movement had ceased. Lillian saw a tiny twitch flicker under their right eye. From this close she could see that they had a black cloth pulled up over their nose to further obscure their features. Their skin was pale and Lillian could feel hot, sweet-smelling breath on her cheeks. She looked down at the silver clasp fastening their cloak and saw that it was shaped like a hand, palm up, fingers closed. She wanted to reach out and feel it when the stranger finally slumped onto the floor, revealing a tall Cromwell Atacop directly behind them. His silver blade was out in front of him, the tip still pointed at his assailant. Get up, stand behind me, 
Atacop spoke quickly and calmly, and Lillian did as she was told without hesitation. When she had stepped past Mr. Atacop, she turned to see that the stranger was still writhing on the floor. They weren't screaming, but they were obviously hurt. Lillian glimpsed a large cut across their back as they tried to scramble to their feet. Atacop approached them, his blade aimed down at their throat, ready to strike. Lillian noticed that the stranger's knife was on the floor by the bed, presumably dropped in the commotion. Unarmed and desperate, the stranger narrowed their eyes up at Atacop. Who sent you? Mr. Atacop almost shouted the words. The stranger said nothing. But Lillian saw the corners of their eyes wrinkle from a smile. They glanced at the door, then at the window, and finally made up their mind. They began muttering in whispers under their breath. Mr. Atacop must have noticed too, because he took a step forward and shouted, Hey! trying to break their concentration. But the blade was now a finger length from the stranger's throat, but they didn't stop, nor did it seem like they were going to answer Atacop's question. The stranger then clapped their hands together with an abnormally large crack. Lillian flinched, looked back, and the stranger had gone. She looked down at the space they had just occupied, and there on the floor was a pile of sticks and leaves arranged in a strange pattern. The stranger was nowhere to be seen. In the minutes that followed, Lillian said nothing. She was breathing fast and heavily and kept jumping to look at the rustling of a page or the movement of a curtain out of the corner of her eye. It's all right. They're gone. Mr. Atticott was speaking from the other side of the room. He was slowly easing the remaining essence into the half-empty vial from which it had come from. Once he was satisfied that all of it was in there, he proceeded to place the tip of his blade in the top of the little bottle, and Lillian watched as it began drip by drip to melt into the vial. Once the tilt and handle had gone completely, Atacop flicked the cap shut and held the vial up to his eye. The liquid had been depleted by about a quarter of its total. Seemingly satisfied, he hid the vial away and turned to Lillian. Here, drink this, he said softly, reaching for one of the larger bottles on a shelf by his desk and handing it to her. Obediently, she drank. The brown water tasted like overripe apples, and after just one swallow she felt herself begin to calm down. Her heartbeat slowed, and her breathing began to return to normal. Atacop sat her on the bed and knelt in front of her. Lillian, I am so sorry you had to witness that. And thank you for shouting when you did. A moment later we may not have been having this conversation. Atacop's eyes were visibly shaken. Lillian wondered if he was maintaining his composure for her sake. Who was that? Where did they go? She asked. I don't know who they were, but they were probably sent by someone out to get me. As for where they went, I have some theories. Mr. Atacop poked the sticks on the floor with his foot. Were they trying to... Lillian couldn't bring herself to say the actual words. I'm afraid so, he shrugged. Not the first time, and I wager it won't be the last. He stood up and began mopping up ink and sweeping broken glass. Lillian sat there, still stunned for a while, before getting up to help him. They cleaned in silence for a time before Lillian remembered something. The clasp, she exclaimed. Excuse me? Cromwell looked up. They, they were wearing this silver clasp on their cloak. It looked like a hand, like this. She raised her hand up beside her, fingers tight together. 
Does that mean something? Mr. Atticop rolled his eyes and went back to mopping up ink with a rag. Oh, I don't know. Probably some secret organisation or something. These assassins, they're all the same. They creep around in the shadows and they let you know exactly who they are at the last minute. I'm from the Guild of the Golden Duck. Now you will die. It's always like that. How do you think they ever get hired? Can't stay a secret if you need the work. I met one once who just introduced himself. Right there and then. Told me his name. Fool. Lillian thought he was taking the whole event extremely lightly, but this did help her to calm down somewhat. Just then, she turned towards a sound coming from the staircase. She stood up and braced herself for a second wave when she recognised it to be the clinking of cutlery on a tray. Mr Stepson slowly appeared through the floor and was so focused on not dropping anything that he didn't notice any signs of the struggle until he reached the floor of the tower room, at which point he looked up and dropped the tray. Goodness gods, he bellowed. What has happened? His surprise quickly turned to anger as his eyes fell on Lillian. Atacop, however, interrupted him. Not to worry, Stepson. I'll have everything cleaned and replaced. All my fault, really. I was showing young Lillian here a dance move I learned in Fridos, and I spectacularly misjudged my surroundings. All of my apologies. Mr. Stepson seemed as quick to calm as he was to anger, as he instantly muttered something about brooms and slippery floorboards and disappeared downstairs. A silence followed his departure. Lillian looked over to Mr. Atacop and saw him standing still in thought. He glanced back at the debris and the broken window, and for an instant Lillian thought she caught a glimpse of something very real. His face was relaxed and the weight of many years of stress seemed to pull down his cheeks. Lillian had never considered him to be an old man, but suddenly she saw someone who was perhaps not old enough to stop working, but certainly too old to put up with attempts on his life. Lillian realised that his jokes about dancing and fighting off ridiculous killers were probably for her benefit. Mr. Atacop was visibly shaken. In another instant, though, he regained his composure and turned to her. He spoke softly and clearly. Lillian, I am so sorry. I truly wish you to never come to harm and... It appears as though staying by my side might lead to just that. I would understand if you no longer wish to work with me. Please send my apologies to your parents. With that, he turned back to picking up parchment from the floor and arranging the sheets on his desk. Lillian stepped towards the staircase in silence. She was about to start walking down the spiral flight. She even placed her right foot on the top step when she stopped and looked back. When I was six, she began, catching Atacop's attention, a few of the town children were playing in the river. When the sun went down, we all started heading home and we realised that one of the boys, Bjor, wasn't with us. We shouted and shouted and spent ages looking for him, but he never showed up. He must have fallen and hit his head on a rock or something because they found him a few days later, downstream. He was only five. Mr. Atkop's expression did not change. He was listening, intently. What I'm trying to say is, Lillian continued, is that he was surrounded by people who love him, and he was just playing, something that all children do, when he got into a horrible accident. It can happen to any of us, any time. So, 
me not working with you is not a guarantee of being safe. So if it's all the same, I would still like to help. Mr. Atticop's eyes widened. Are you sure? You saw what just happened. Someone broke in here and tried to kill me. Yeah, and you stopped them. So if you promise to teach me how to fight like you, then that means we'll be able to protect each other, right? Mr. Atticop thought for a second, then started shaking his head. Lillian, I can't... Right? She interrupted him, and he understood that she wasn't giving him a choice. Right. Thank you. I think that'll be all for today. I appreciate your sentiment, but take the rest of the day to really think about whether or not this is what you want. If it is, then be here tomorrow morning, and I'll start your training. I suggest we split our days in two for the next few weeks, training in the morning, working in the afternoon. This plan of action put a smile on Lillian's face, and she turned to leave. The room was almost out of sight when a sudden thought stopped her in her tracks. She raised her head above the floor and caught Atticop's attention a final time before leaving. Oh, Mr Atticop, what did those hairs we found belong to? Mr Atticop looked at her with a very confused expression, like he had no clue what she was talking about. Suddenly, though, he remembered. Oh, yes, Fane Hound. Later that evening, Lillian and her family were sat at their kitchen table eating dinner. Oh, what? shouted Kilda, who had been invited on Lillian's way back from the Torreson house. A fane hound, Lillian repeated herself. A silence fell on the kitchen as everyone furrowed their brows and tried to think if they'd heard the word before. Kilda was chewing a large carrot he'd found in his stew when he asked, He didn't say what it is? He just told you its name? Yes replied Lillian. She hadn't told any of them about the attack, and after all the chaos and threat, these animal hairs weren't really her main concern. Why didn't you ask him? Lillian's dad spoke between mouthfuls of bread. He was busy, all right? I'll ask him next time I see him. I think he just thought I, I knew what it was and went back to his work. Kilda looked disappointed. He seemed upset that they were not really any further in solving the mystery. He was about to ask another question when Lillian's mum cut him off. Did you ask about his work? What do you think you'll be doing together? At this, Lillian's stomach dipped. With all the excitement of the fur discovery and the attack, she still hadn't told Kilda about her decision. She avoided looking at him as he looked up quickly. What work? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you knew. Lillian has agreed to help Mr. Atticop with his research. Speaking of, did you manage to find out what he's doing exactly? Lillian couldn't bring herself to look at Kilda, but she could tell from the corner of her eye that he was shocked. Not really. I think it's quite secret, so even if he told me, I don't think I'd be allowed to say. I think I'll mostly be making him cups of tea or sorting out parchment. Lillian's mum seemed satisfied. Well, it's a good start. And I'm sure he'll let you know eventually what he's doing up in Ben Luna. I haven't seen him at any of the walks or meals organised for the other city folk. Lillian had finished her food and was starting to clear away the plates. Her mother chatted on about a friend of hers who once worked with a governor of a nearby city. But Lillian wasn't really paying attention. Kilda had asked no questions and was avoiding her eye. At the end of the night, when Lillian was showing him to the door, 
he finally turned to her outside and mumbled a low goodbye. What's wrong with you? asked Lillian, annoyed that her friend didn't seem happy for her. Nothing, he said, but Lillian crossed her arms by way of reply. I mean, when were you going to tell me? I don't know, she replied. I was going to say something today, but we caught up with the search and stuff. Anyway, it's not a big deal. Kilda looked cross. It is, he said. Your mum said you might be going to work in Fridos. That means you're leaving Ben Luna and I won't see you. Lillian felt an urge to contradict him, to tell him that he was wrong, like she usually did. But she couldn't seem to find the words, because this time he was right. I know, she said finally, and I'm sorry, Kilda. I am. I love Ben Luna. I love it when we're playing by the river, or when we're running through the streets, or when we're eating pies in the square. But I'm not with you all the time, and when I'm not with you, then I don't like Ben Luna very much at all. I hate school. Everyone is always asking me to help them with something stupid or boring. And I've been fighting with my parents and when I met Mr. Atticott, that kind of stopped. He's nice. And he's clever. He's, well, well, he's like you, if you were an old man. Lillian caught Kilda looking away, a glint of moonlight catching a tear in his eye. You're an old man, he sniffed, and Lillian smiled. She hugged him tightly and then let him go. As he slowly began to walk away, Lillian felt a retching pain in her stomach. If she made Kilda as happy as Kilda made her, then she understood how sad he must be feeling in this instant. She wanted to burst into tears, but decided that she had cried enough, and that she could still make him smile once before leaving. Kilda! she shouted out, and he turned around. Before I go, we're going to find it. Kilda looked confused and bleary-eyed. Find what? he spluttered. The Fane Hound. The next morning, Lillian was up at dawn. She had no idea what to wear for her first day of training. She didn't even know what training she would be doing. Magic, she wondered. In which case, she might wear her strong sheepskin jacket. Or would she be learning how to use a sword? That would undoubtedly require a more movable fabric. All this was made more complicated when she realised that she wanted to look smart dressed formally, like Mr. Atticop did, but none of her current clothes were particularly fancy. Finally, she settled on cotton trousers and a patchwork wool shirt. They were both old, and so it didn't matter if they got damaged, but were also colourful and rather dapper, by Ben Luna standards, anyway. As she sat at the kitchen table, shoveling oats and milk into her mouth, she thought back to the promise she'd made last night. Had she done the right thing? The smile on Kilda's face when she said that they would find the Fane Hound together was a sight that she would never forget. It was like she told him he could have a magic puppy that granted wishes when you stroked its belly. But what if Mr. Atticop had plans for them to leave the city tomorrow? Or even today? She decided to devote every second she was not helping Mr. Atticop to tracking and finding the Fane Hound. She breathed out a loud sigh over her bowl as she felt her stomach sink. She didn't even know what a fane hound looked like, let alone how to track one. Pushing these worries to one side, she opened her kitchen door to a grey morning. Mist hung in the air and obscured her view of the path to town. Lillian felt nervous. Ever since the attack, she'd been checking every corner and window. Every time she saw a small movement out of the corner of her eye, she would spin to check it wasn't a silent assassin come to finish the job. She reminded herself that the stranger had clearly been after Mr. Atticop, but this did little to calm her nerves as she began to walk towards the centre of town. 
They may have been off to Atacop, she thought, but they're probably not too happy with the young woman who foiled their plan. When Lillian reached the Torreson house, she saw Mr. Atacop talking with Mr. Stepson on the steps leading up to the front door. Mr. Atacop was dressed in black, as usual, but he wasn't wearing his night sky cloak. Instead, he wore black cotton trousers and a black sleeveless shirt with large toggle buttons. He looked strange in these comfortable clothes. Lillian had assumed from his usual attire that he always dressed to be able to drop everything at a moment's notice and be ready for an audience with the Empress. As she approached, Mr. Atacop turned and greeted her. "'Good morning, Miss Lausanne. I trust you have eaten?' Lillian nodded. "'Excellent. Then we'll get started. Mr. Stepson has informed me of an area where we should be undisturbed.' Lillian smiled at Mr. Stepson, and he returned the greeting. Bowing his head so low, Lillian worried he might fall down the steps. Mr. Atacop led Lillian away from the town centre and up towards the mountain path. Lillian knew this walk well. She'd done it many times with her parents after a holiday meal. She understood why Mr. Stepson had recommended this route. The road up to the peak was steep and rocky. After about thirty minutes' walk, the path ended and the two were forced to step from rock to rock. Lillian had noticed some time ago that Mr. Atacop, instead of slowing down, had been steadily increasing his pace. By now the two were almost jogging up the natural steps. Lillian was almost out of breath and having a hard time keeping up with the spry old man. An hour after they'd left the Stepson house, they reached the first path marker. These were piles of stones left by travellers as signals to future walkers that they were on the right path. It was customary when walking past a path marker, to pick up the nearest, flattest stone you could find and place it on top of the pile. Mr. Atacop must have known this, because just before he reached it, he bent down to pick up a flat piece of granite and placed it deftly on the pile. Lillian looked upwards to where the path led up the mountain. Normally she would be able to see the next path marker before the way turned a corner, but today the mist was obscuring it from sight. Atacop saw her looking. Do you ever go to the top? he asked, casually, seemingly not out of breath at all. I have, Lillian spoke between gasps. Up here the oxygen was very thin. I have been up twice, but you can only go in the summer. The snow is too dangerous in winter or, or spring. Mr. Atcock paused for a moment and then took a step towards the edge of the path. He looked straight down, past the path marker, and studied the landscape under their feet. There it is, he finally said to himself and started stepping over the path marker and bending down to tread on the sheer edge of the hill. There were still some trees on the slope and he seemed to be aiming for one to catch him as he slipped down the wet grass towards it. Lillian was nervous. She didn't mind heights but she knew it wasn't wise to stray from the path. Swallowing her fears, she copied his movements step for step. Mr. Atacop led them carefully down through the trees. Lillian was surprised to find that they were following a small animal track, hidden from view from the steps above. The track wound through trees and boulders and eventually opened out into a clearing. Lillian held her breath as she stepped onto a large open shelf on the side of the mountain. It was almost completely circular and was littered with sharp scree and stones, centuries of collected landslide material. Lillian couldn't resist stepping to the very edge, but all she could see were the trees below her disappearing into the mist. Why have we come here? She asked, confused. There were plenty of spare rooms in town, she thought. 
When Mr. Atikop didn't answer, she turned to see where he had gone. As she turned, however, she felt a sudden shock across her right cheek. Her hand instantly went up to where the pain had come from, and it took her a second to understand what had happened. Mr. Atikop had slapped her hard in the face. Hello, thank you for listening to episode four of Ben Luna. As ever, I have been Simon Mader, the reader and writer. The wonderful music was by Tom Figgins. We are well and truly on the adventure now. We released the first three episodes last week. So if you've subscribed and stuck with us, I want to thank you very, very much. I have a new goal with Ben Luna, and that is to get it on the new and noteworthy page of iTunes also called Apple Podcasts now. As with most things in this day and age, the noteworthy page relies on an algorithm. Now, I've done all the recommended things, I think, like release three episodes to start with, have quality artwork, well-produced content. The rest is up to you guys. I hate to ask favours this early on, but if you were considering leaving a review, preferably one with five stars, (laughs) then now would be the time to do it. Thank you so, so much to everyone who has already left reviews. They are wonderful. And thank you in advance for leaving yours. As ever, we are on social media at Ben Luna Podcast. Why not tweet us and say hi? Thanks again for listening. See you in episode five.